Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful opportunity we have to come into your presence with brothers and sisters in Christ and to hear from your word. Lord, we thank you that this is indeed your word. There is no other book like it in the entire world. And so, Lord, we pray that we may read it like it is no other book, that it is a book that has the words of eternal life, that it is a book that teaches us how we can live forever. So, Lord, we pray that we may feast upon your word this morning with our brothers and sisters. We pray that you may be with me. May I be able to explain your word clearly, clearly so it is helpful for the people who are gathered here. And we pray that we may go from here strengthened in your word as a result of gathering this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think at different times in our lives, we think that we're the best at something. At one stage, I thought I was the best at eating more pizza, at all-you-can-eat pizza, than anybody else. There's out where we used to live, there was a pizza hut there. They're a bit rare these days, the pizza huts. And they have all-you-can-eat pizza, all-you-can-eat salad, and all-you-can-eat dessert bar and the drinks as well. Uh, For a nominal fee, I believe, considering how much I actually get out of uh, such institutions. And so I enjoyed uh, going along to there and practicing eating as much as I could with Jill. Uh, And before I met Jill, but once I was with Jill, and my record was I could eat 12 pieces of pizza and three bowls of ice cream dessert afterwards. And that was my record, so 12 pieces of pizza and three bowls of ice cream. And I thought, no one can top that. Of course, Jill couldn't come close to that. And I didn't go to the salad bar uh, on my record day. Uh, salad bars are for Jill and for people like her. Uh, they're not for ones who are wanting to break records. And that was all well and good. And I used to tell people well, um, badly about my record until I met someone at another church that I was working at as a student. And I boasted how much I could eat at Pizza Hut, all you can eat. And he just quietly said, 28 slices. And I said, what? And I said, any ice cream? And he said, no, just 28 slices. And this was a big guy. And um, and it was believable looking at the size of him. And he did say that, uh, he said, it was kind of concession. He said, I, this is before I was a Christian, Joel. This was a very faithful um, Christian uh, that I met at this church. But he said, this was before I became a Christian. I became a Christian later on in life. And he said, and I had been smoking pot beforehand and had the munchies real bad. And so I guess we could say that his record was a result of doping. And so maybe disqualified, really, uh, whereas mine was not in, under the influence of anything. But we do like to think that we're the best at something until someone else comes along that has a better record than what we have and may even top it quite nicely. And that's what we've been looking at as we've been examining this part of God's word in Hebrews chapter 7. We've been looking at basically a rivalry that's going on between an old priesthood, the priesthood of Levi, and the new priesthood, the priesthood of Jesus Christ, which has come with the priesthood of Melchizedek. And so we've been looking at, the the passage of Hebrews chapter 7 has been looking at how the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than the priesthood of Levi. The Levites were the descendants of one of the first, uh, one of the sons of Jacob, sons of Israel called Levi, and they were to be priests. The law instituted them as priests, but then the author of Hebrews has been making a point that there is another priest mentioned in the Old Testament, and that is this man Melchizedek. 
And again and again, the author has been careful to point out that the priest Melchizedek is far greater than the priest of Levi. And so he gives us a number of reasons which we've been looking at for a number of weeks now. Hebrews chapter 7, one of the most difficult chapters of the Bible because it's about a person that we know so little about, this man Melchizedek, but he seems to be so important because of his greatness in comparison to Levi and then, of course, the pointing that he does to Jesus Christ. How great was Melchizedek? Well, we saw in verse 2 that of Hebrews chapter 7, page 1188 of your church Bibles, 1188, we saw in verse 2 that he was great because he is a king of righteousness. He's a king and he's a king of righteousness. He's not a king of evil, he's a king of righteousness, which makes him great. And he's also the king of Salem, it says there in verse 2, which means king of peace. He's not the king of disorder, he's the king of peace, which makes him great. We also see that he is an eternal priest. The author in verse 3 uh, points out that he is without father, without mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. He's got an eternal priesthood, which in comparison to the Levitical priesthood, where they're a dying priesthood, they're constantly being raised up but then dying, whereas this guy seems to live forever. And we also saw the relationship that he had with Abraham points out how great Melchizedek is as well. We saw in verse 4 where it says, just think how great he was and then points out that even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. How great was Melchizedek? Very great because the patriarch Abraham, the big shot in the Old Testament, actually paid him a tithe. It wasn't as though Melchizedek paid a tenth to Abraham It was Abraham paying a tenth to Melchizedek. And then we also saw that the law wasn't requiring Abraham to give a tenth, unlike the Levitical priesthood where the law requires people to pay a tenth to the Levites, and that's in verse 5 and 6. It says, Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. So why do they collect a tenth? It's because of the law. But verse 6 then says, This man, Melchizedek, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Melchizedek is great because he collects a tenth, not because there's a law pushing people to, but because Abraham wanted, he recognized the greatness of Melchizedek and generously gave a tenth of the plunder to Melchizedek. And then we saw that Melchizedek is also great in the way that he blessed Abraham. We read that just then in verse 6. It says that um, he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And then verse 7 points out that, and without doubt the lesser person is blessed by the greater. A greater person blesses someone. A lesser person doesn't bless someone. The greater person does the blessing. And if Melchizedek blessed Abraham, Abraham who had the promises of God, then Melchizedek must be great. And then we saw that Levi himself may have paid a tenth, if we think a little bit abstractedly, he paid a tenth to Melchizedek as well. And the author pointed that out in verse 9. He says, one might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So the author is trying to say that Levi was still in Abraham because, of course, Levi is a great-grandson of Abraham 
So Levi was still in the body of Abraham when Abraham paid a tenth. So if we're going to say who's greater, Melchizedek or Levi, it's got to be the person who paid a tenth to the other person, which means Melchizedek is greater. So we've seen again and again, basically all these verses up to where we are today, are pointing out again and again that Melchizedek is greater than Levi. Now why is that so important? Why is it important to focus in on this person in the Old Testament? Well then we saw in verse 11 that it is important because the Levitical priests never made anyone perfect. Verse 11 says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given for, to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? Melchizedek hopefully brings someone who is going to make people perfect. The Levitical priesthood never made anyone perfect. Whereas this new priest, in the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek being greater than Levi, will bring perfection. But is there really such a need to change priests? It's a huge change that's going to happen. And that's what we looked at last week. We looked at the fact that this change is great. And that's what verse 12 points out. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. If we're going to change priests, it requires a whole law change if that's going to happen. Which, as we saw last week, means a huge change in Jewish life. And it means a huge change in our lives if we're going to change from one priest to another priest. It means our whole system changes. And so then we have to ask, is there really another rival priest to warrant this change that should happen in our lives? Is there really another rival priest? And that's what the author wants to make clear this morning, that there is another rival priest. And he says that in verse 15. We're going to be looking at verses 15, 16 and 17 in great detail this morning. And verse 15 says, and what we have said is even more clear. So he's saying, I've put forward that Melchizedek is the guy that we've been looking for, his priesthood, and it's even more clear if we consider a couple of other things. If we consider that a rival priest has come, how do we know that we have a rival priest? How do we know that we have a rival that is worth considering? against the Levitical priesthood, which will bring much change into our lives? Well, he gives us three things that show that we have a rival priest. Just as I recognize that I had a rival pizza eater on my hands, there are a couple of things that indicated that. We've got to look at, do we really have a rival to the priesthood of Levi in Jesus Christ? Do we really have a rival to him? How do we know that we have a rival priest to the priesthood of Levi? And so that brings me to my first main point this morning. My first main point is there is a rival priest if another priest appears. There is a rival priest if another priest appears. And we see that in verse 15. It says, And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. Now, you know you don't really have a rival until someone else shows up claiming to be a priest and claiming to be, a, and then they are then a rival to that current order. Someone has to show up. Just like when I'm thinking about I'm the best at pizza eating and everyone sort of bows to my greatness and they couldn't come close to that and then someone else pops up and says, uh, I actually can rival that. They appear on the scene. And so then we know that we have a new 
priesthood a challenge coming to the old order of the priesthood of Levi. So firstly, someone has to show up. That's when we know that we've got a contender for the priesthood. What is another way that we know that we have a rival priest? Because anyone can really just say, well, I'm a priest, you should start listening to me. I'm going to be your priest from now on. And people have done that in history again and again. That They say, I'm the priest, I'm the one who's, forget about that previous priest, I'm the one who will make you right with God. How do you know that you have a serious contender in Jesus Christ or anybody else that they are a rival to the old order of the priesthood of Levi? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. There is a rival priest if another priest is not from Levi. There is a rival priest if another priest comes who is not from Levi. And we see that in verse 16. It says, and what we have said is even more clear, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation, a law, as to his ancestry. It has to be, if you've got a serious contender for the priesthood, it has to be someone who is not from the tribe of Levi. After all, if a Levite presents himself and says, I'm priest now, you say, of course you are, you're a Levite. You're part of that order. You can't claim a new priesthood when you're part of the current order. And so we would recognize that we have a serious contender for the priesthood if that person is not from the tribe of Levi. If they are from the tribe of Levi, they're just confused if they're claiming to have a new order of priesthood. But if someone comes along who claims to be a priest and they're not from the tribe of Levi, then we have a serious contender on our hands. Now, many people can easily claim to be a priest and many of them are going to be not from the tribe of Levi. Let's face it, the tribe of Levi is, in the grand scheme of things, very small in comparison to everybody else on the planet. And so it's not going to be hard to have someone pop up and say, I'm your new priest and I'm not from the tribe of Levi. How do you know that that person is a serious contender for the priesthood? that they really are going to take over from the old order. Well, the author does tell us the real blow that a serious contender could give to the priesthood of Levi. And what is that? Well, it's that the person is like Melchizedek. That's my third main point this morning. You can follow my main points on the back of the church bulletin. My third is there is a rival priest if another priest is like Melchizedek. If you have someone show up and claim to be a priest, you've got a contender. If they claim to be not from the tribe of Levi, then you know they're a real contender. But then if they claim, if they can show that they are like Melchizedek, then you've got a serious battle on your hands between the priesthoods. Because as we've seen from the Hebrews chapter 7 and when we've looked at Melchizedek in the Old Testament, in Genesis, we've seen that Melchizedek is really great. He is far greater than the priests of Levi. And so if we have someone who shows up and they are like Melchizedek, then contest is over. The rival priest wins. But how do you be like Melchizedek? How can you show that you are like Melchizedek, that you're part of the order of Melchizedek? Well, the author tells us. In verse 15 and 16, he says, And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but 
What is the point? On the basis of the power of an indestructible life. On the basis of the power of an indestructible life. What sets Melchizedek apart from other people, from other priests? What is the big thing that sets him apart? The fact that he seems to live forever. And the author pointed that out when we looked at verse 3. As I recap before, verse 3 says, Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. This Melchizedek had no end. There was no death recorded for this person in the Old Testament. And so the author has picked up on that and has made the point that he is part of a living priesthood. And he said that in verse 8. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, the case of Melchizedek, by him who is declared to be living. The priesthood of Levi is a dying priesthood, whereas the priesthood of Melchizedek is a living priesthood. And the psalm that keeps getting quoted, Psalm 110, points this out as well, that the priesthood of Melchizedek is a priesthood that lasts forever. And that's reminded to us in verse 17. Verse 17 says, For it is declared, you are a priest forever. The emphasis by including this verse at this point is on the word forever. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we've got two priests going here. We've got the Levitical priesthood and then we've got this new priest, a rival priest. How do we know that that rival priest is indeed a rival priest? Well, the fact that they've appeared, the fact that they have appeared and they're not from the tribe of Levi, but if they are like Melchizedek, if they have the power of an indestructible life, then we know that the new priesthood is the one to go with. The old priesthood, leave it behind. Go with that new priesthood. So who fits the bill to be a rival priest? Who can we see is indeed a rival priest to the priesthood of Levi? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Jesus is a rival priest because he appeared. Firstly, we saw that a rival priest would have to appear. Did Jesus appear? Yes, he did. Did he claim to be a priest? Is he said to be a priest? When he first arrives on the scene of his public ministry, who says something quite extraordinary about him? John the Baptist. What does he say? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one who brings a sacrifice to take away sin. That is a, a priesthood function. And John is proclaiming that when he tells his gatherers, and lots of people were there to hear John speak, and he pointed Jesus Christ out as a new priest who had come. And Jesus himself talks about what he will do in priestly language. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Jesus talks about his blood being for sin. He says, "In This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He talks about his own blood being given for sin. Priestly language, talking about sacrifices being given for sin. Jesus clearly understands that he is going to perform a priestly function and other people around him clearly understand that he is here to perform a priestly function which makes him a priest, a rival priest who has appeared on the scene. But how do we then know that Jesus is a serious contender for the priesthood? He shows up, he calls himself a priest, other people call him a priest. How do we know he's a serious contender against the priesthood of Levi? 
Well, that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. Jesus is a rival priest because he is not from Levi. Remember, the author had said, if another priest appears who is not from the tribe of Levi, not on the base, who becomes a priest not on the basis of his regulation as to his ancestry, it says there in verse 16, then we know we have a serious contender. Was Jesus descended from the tribe of Levi? He's much closer to the tribe of Levi than many of us in the room, but no, he traces his descent from one of Levi's brothers, from Judah. And the author has wanted to point this out to us. When we looked at uh, it last week, we saw in verse 13 where it speaks of Jesus and his descent being important. It says in verse 13, He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. What tribe is Jesus from? Verse 14. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So we know that Jesus is a serious contender for the priesthood because it's not on the basis of a regulation of his ancestry, but it must be on something else. He's not claiming to be a priest from Levi. It's not like when he first appeared... John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who is descended from Levi, and so he is qualified to be a priest? No. Jesus is from a different tribe. So we have a serious contender for the priesthood. But anyone, remember, can claim to be a priest and be outside of the family of Levi. What makes Jesus a real contender? What sets him apart from all other priests who have come before him? from the tribe of Levi. What sets him apart? Well, that brings me to my sixth main point. Jesus is a rival priest because he is like Melchizedek. Jesus is a rival priest because he is like Melchizedek. What makes you like Melchizedek? Well, remember, it's the power of an indestructible life. That's what it said there in verse 16. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. If we've got a serious contender for the priesthood, they must be like Melchizedek, because he is the great priest of the Old Testament in reality. And what was his greatness, his claim to greatness? The power of an indestructible life. Does Jesus have the power of an indestructible life? Because if he does not, then his priesthood, he can, he can rival the priesthood all he likes, but we can dismiss him. But if he has the power of an indestructible life, then we cannot dismiss him as a priesthood because the old priesthood is a dying priesthood, not a living one. And it would be far better to go to a priest who has the power of an indestructible life. So does Jesus have the power of an indestructible life? Is his priesthood far superior to any other priesthood that's come from Levi? The answer is yes. Jesus does have the power of an indestructible life. How do we know that? Well, one way that we know that Jesus has the power of an indestructible life is what happened to him after he died. What happened to him? He came back to life. He rose from the dead. No Levite's ever been raised from the dead. And the author, I think, is hinting at this fact as he's gone through these other verses here leading up to this point about the power of an indestructible life. He's been hinting at the fact that someone's going to come 
who has been resurrected. It's very interesting the choice of words that he uses in verse 11 and then also in verse 15. It says in verse 11, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Now, we have that translated there, to come, in our English translation here. In the Greek, it is the same word that is actually used for the resurrection. You could translate it, for why was there still need for another priest to be raised or to be resurrected? Now that word is used in lots of different contexts. When you get up out of a seat, you could say resurrected. You could be say raised. But it also was used when someone was raised from the dead. Resurrected. And so there's a hint here saying, why was there still another priest for another priest to be resurrected? And then that same Greek word shows up in verse 15. It says, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. It's actually the same Greek word. It's interesting the NIV didn't use the same translation in both areas, but it's the same Greek word again. So we could translate that. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek is resurrected, is raised. And so there's a hint coming through there that the new priest is going to be one who is raised. Not just raised up to serve, but maybe raised from the dead. Particularly when we consider that this new priest has the power of an indestructible life. Did Does Jesus have the power of an indestructible life? Yes, and we can see that by his resurrection from the dead. Is there another way that we can see that Jesus has the power of an indestructible life, though? Well, yes by the fact that he is divine, the fact that he is God. Because let's face it, it does look like Jesus is not one who has the power of an indestructible life when he's hanging there on the cross and then dies. It looks like he has a destructible life. But if he is divine, he continues to live even while his body is dead. His physical body is dead, but his divinity is still very much alive. And so he, when he offers himself as a priest and also offering himself as a sacrifice, he is divine at that point and has the power of an indestructible life. Now the question is, is Jesus divine? Is Jesus God? Well, the author has pointed that out to us back in Hebrews chapter 1. He calls Jesus God. Turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Seems like so long since we actually preached on this last. My note in the Bible says the 24th of the 10th, 2010. So that's almost four years ago that I preached on that verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, it says, about, but about the sun, it's comparing angels there. It's been four years since we looked at this. The context is comparing angels with Jesus. It says, but about the sun, he says, your throne, O God. Very interesting language. He says, about the sun, your throne, O God. Calling Jesus God. And in verse 10 it says, he also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Still speaking about the sun. Calls him God and then calls him Lord. Names that are used for God. That's the, the, the nouns that we use for God. God and Lord. 
and there they're used in reference to Jesus. And interestingly, when we look at chapter 7, turn back with me to page 1188, Hebrews chapter 7, it's interesting how Melchizedek and his eternal life aspect, Melchizedek the human in the Old Testament, has a link with God when he talks about the indestructible life there in verse 3. What does it say in verse 3? Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. The eternal life aspect of Melchizedek is linked in there with the divinity, like the Son of God. And Jesus is clearly God by the way that he acts with people, by the things that he does. We see again and again, you don't just need Hebrews to tell you that he is God. The New Testament screams it out to us that Jesus is God. That passage that we had read before for us from John chapter 1, one of the clearest statements that Jesus is divine, which means what? Jesus has the power of an indestructible life, which means what? That Jesus' priesthood is far superior to the priesthood of Levi because he has the power of an indestructible life. So there's no contest between Levi and Jesus. He appears, well, it's a bit of a contest then. He's from a different tribe, yeah, still a bit of a contest. He's got the power of an indestructible life. No contest then. Jesus wins, hands down against Levi. So what does this mean for us? We must go to Jesus Christ. I've said this again and again as we've been looking through this passage. Jesus is clearly the greater priest. We must go to him. We cannot serve and go to any other priest to be our intercessor and offer a sacrifice between us and God because none of the other priests have an indestructible life, which means what? None of the other priests can give you an indestructible life. That's the wonderful thing about Jesus. He has the power of an indestructible life and he shares that power with us so that we will live forever. When we die, that's not it. It's basically a door, an exit that we go from this world to the next one. We have eternal life even now because we have a priest who has eternal life and he shares that eternal life with those who have him as their priest. So I encourage you, if you're here today and you do not have Jesus Christ as your priest, you have something or someone else interceding between you and God, realize that whatever that is, it cannot rival Jesus' priesthood. Jesus shows up and rivals the priesthood of Levi. Nothing now rivals Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are and if you show up, not from the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Levi, it doesn't matter what it is. If you try to put yourself as priest between you and God and you think, I can make myself right with God, it's okay, I'll do some good works, it'll be all right, or I'll follow some other religion, it's not going to cut it. Jesus Christ alone is the priest who wins against every other priest because he has the indestructible life. And if you want eternal life, there's no other priest you can go to. No other priest can grant eternal life because no other priest is divine. No other priest has shown his indestructible power by being raised from the dead. Jesus alone is the one that has been raised from the dead to live eternally. And so he is the one we must go to. And so if you haven't, I encourage you go to him. Trust in Jesus' death for your sins today. Confess your sins to God and he will grant you eternal life.
Because when you confess your sins to God, you confess them to Jesus Christ who then intercedes between you and the Father and his sacrifice that he has made as priest at the cross becomes a sacrifice that is made on your behalf. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from your sins. And so you have the power of an indestructible life and can rejoice with Jesus and all his people in heaven for all of eternity. Go to Jesus this morning if you haven't already and trust in him. Let us speak with our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that Jesus has appeared. We thank you that he claims to be a priest and we thank you that he comes from a different tribe so he sets himself apart from Levi and shows that he is a contender for the priesthood. But Lord, we thank you so much that he has shown that he is a priest like Melchizedek because his priesthood is not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Lord, we thank you that we have seen Jesus' power of an indestructible life by his resurrection and by his divinity. Lord, we pray that everyone in this room may go to Jesus Christ to have him as their priest. May they reject all other rival priesthoods, knowing that Jesus is the greatest priest. And Lord, we pray that everyone in this room may then find that they have the power of an indestructible life because Jesus grants eternal life that he has to those who trust in him. And Lord, we pray that the believers here this morning who have trusted in Jesus for many years may continue to share with those around them that there is a priesthood who does grant eternal life. There is a priesthood who is superior to all other priesthoods. And so Lord, we pray that we may proclaim Jesus and see others share in the eternal life that we enjoy. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.